chapter 30 of the book of Deuteronomy. And Father, we do ask that you would just bless our time in the study of your word right now. I pray that our hearts would be attentive to what it is that you want to show us and speak to us tonight. Lord, we thank you that we're here. We know that uh, it's important for us to be grounded in all of God's word. And so we want to tonight be grounded and uh, be established in the things uh, that are said here tonight as we make application for us. So um, we give you this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, we read, Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Verse 4, If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possess, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. In verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And as we are in this final section of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has just given them the law. They're getting ready, this new generation, to cross the Jordan River, led by Joshua, into the promised land to possess the land that God has given to them. And as we saw in chapters uh, 27 and 28, it was the covenant that God had made with his people that he had made earlier, 40 years earlier, there at Mount Sinai with their fathers as the law was given to them, as the covenant was made with them. We saw that Moses sprinkled the people with the blood of the sacrifice, and that would confirm the covenant, but the people broke the covenant. It was shortly after that that they were dancing nakedly around a golden calf, and they were committing all kinds of immorality and fornication. Then we saw that they would not go into the promised land because of their hardness of heart and their unbelief. And so now, as those, that generation died out there in the wilderness, here is a new generation ready to go in. So Moses needed to get them ready spiritually to go into the promised land. So he has given them the law. Again, Deuteronomy and the Septuagint means the second law. Not that it's a different law that he gave to them. It is the reading of the law to them once again. And then confirming that covenant with the blessings and the cursings that we saw. And in chapter 28 that we finished last week, it was a particularly heavy chapter because the Lord came and he said, here are the blessings if you follow after me. If you worship me and follow and keep my commandments, then you're going to be blessed in these ways. And the blessings were tremendous blessings, provision for them, uh, health for them, uh, defeat their enemy. They're going to be blessed wherever they go. And so that's what the Lord was promising them. But then we saw that the Lord also said that if you forsake me and go after other gods, here are the cursings. And that's what makes chapter 28 and so, um, so heavy and, and difficult is that those cursings that we saw were very, very specific. 
and you're going to be defeated, and there's going to be drought, and there's going to be uh, discouragement and depression. There is going to be uh, the enemies coming to take you captive, and all those things that we saw spelled out very specifically. And so as we looked at this, in the very specific things that God said to them, there's going to be locust infestation, the land won't produce, uh, all these things that we saw, the Lord wanted to make it very clear to them that if you forsake me, this is what's going to happen. He did not want them coming back to him and saying, we didn't think it was going to be this bad if we went and followed after other gods or we forsook you. They knew very specifically and and very clearly, it was not hard for them to understand, this is what's going to happen if you are in rebellion to me and you go after other gods. And so we saw that that covenant being confirmed once again. And so now as we enter into chapter 30, we're seeing kind of this prelude to the book of Joshua. And chapters 27, 28, and 29, and, and really the next couple chapters really set the stage for the rest of the Old Testament. Because what we're going to see eventually here, that Moses is going to teach them a song here in chapter 32. The Lord's going to come to Moses and say, you tell the children of Israel, they're going to rebel against me. And, and they are going to go after other gods. And so we see that in their history, as you read the rest of the Old Testament, chapter 28 particularly sets the stage for what would happen to them. And it's interesting here that Moses says that, you know what, when the Lord brings you back from captivity, Moses is, is prophesying here in, in verses 1 through 6. He's saying that what's going to happen is you're going to be scattered through all the nations where the Lord has scattered you, and you're going to be gathered once again. The day is going to come from the farthest parts under heaven, verse 4, and there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. And then he talks about the land that your fathers were going to possess. You will possess it once again, and then also the Lord will circumcise your heart Will you will have a heart for me. You know, it's interesting as you look at the history of the children of Israel, and this is important for us to understand what it is that's being said here, because we know that when Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12 was told by the Lord that, Abraham, that I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and your descendants are going to number the stars of heaven. And whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. And so Abraham would receive the promise, having a son and Isaac, and then the covenant that God made with Abraham would go through Isaac, and then, of course, his Isaac's son, Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, the patriarchs to the 12 tribes of Israel. We saw that eventually that Jacob and his family would end up in Egypt. We don't have time to go over it all here tonight, but as we went through the book of Genesis, we saw how God was working, that it was Joseph, one of Jacob's son, that ended up there in Egypt. He became the prime minister of Egypt, and during that time of famine and drought, it would be Jacob and his family, 75 in totality, that would be brought there to Egypt. They would stay there for over 400 years. It was told to Abraham that this land I'm going to give to you, but your descendants are going to be in a foreign land for four generations. And so it was told to Abraham that the Egyptian captivity or, or, or bondage that they would find themselves in would take place for four generations, 400 years. And then Moses was called, of course, as we opened up the book of Exodus, to take the children of Israel out of Egypt and then to the mountain of God where the Lord said that now you three million people, it's no longer 75, but you three million people, I'm going to give you my law and I'm going to establish my covenant and I'm going to give you the land that I promised 
to your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so now here it is 40 years later, and they're finally ready to go into the promised land. The covenant has been uh, renewed once again and confirmed with them, not only for this generation, but for following generations. And this will what will happen if you follow after me. That's what we're going to see in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is... Uh, a lot of our, uh, for us, um, is, is a favorite book of ours of the Old Testament because it's such a book of victory, isn't it? it? It's a book of where you see that God's people go in to possess what God has for uh, them as they are establishing the promises of God, as, as they go in faith. It's a, a powerful book, and it's a very much of an en- encouragement for us to go through the book of Joshua. But then the book of Judges, the next book, the next generation after Joshua, we see that there's rebellion and we see the curses beginning to come upon the children of Israel, just as God said in chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy. Then during the reign of David and, and, and Solomon, there was great peace and prosperity, the blessings that came. But shortly after that, uh, the reign of Solomon, there would be, again, that rebellion of the house of Israel because the nation split in two, the ten northern tribes and then the house of Judah down south. And both of them would go into captivity. And so all these things that that we've seen in chapter 28 came to pass at different times in their history. During the day of Jesus, of course, Jesus would talk about another time where they would go off. And it would be the Romans that came in in 70 AD. Jesus said that the time's going to come where Jerusalem's going to be destroyed again. Jerusalem had been destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians as they were taken off into captivity. They came back after 70 years, and we know that they would rebuild the temple and they would be established once again in the land. But Jesus said that the Romans are going to come in and they're going to destroy the city and then you're going to be spread out throughout all the nations of the earth. And that's what here Moses is talking about in verse 3. It says that the Lord your God would bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And then he talks about how they would be all gathered from other heaven in verse 4, and there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring to you. One of the important things, again, for us to note is when we go through the Old Testament, there's going to be promise after promise after promise of a time when God's going to bring them all back into the land and they're going to have a heart for the Lord. Now, we know that there was a partial fulfillment, if you would, in this in 1948 when Israel became a nation once again. And they came from all the different parts and countries of the world. They came from Russia, and they have been over the last 60 years. They come from Africa. You can go to Israel today, and you can see how they've been coming into the land that Israel now has been established as a nation. And so you have Ethiopian uh, immigrants. You have Russian immigrants. You have those from South America, from all corners of the earth. But we know that there's going to be a time when the Lord's going to gather all of them, and that's when he comes back to establish his kingdom. And so in those promises that he makes to Israel, that he makes to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when Jesus Christ comes back to establish his kingdom there at the end of the tribulation period, it would be Jesus that would say that when you see my coming, it's going to be like um, you know, lightning flashing from the east to the west. I'm going to come in great power and great glory. And he would say that at that time, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, that the angels will uh, take my elect and gather them from the four corners of the earth. 
So what's going to happen is, is God's going to keep his promise to the nation of Israel, to God's people that we see throughout the Old Testament here. And that is that there's going to be that time where he will gather them back into the land. They will recognize as that he is Jesus the Messiah. As Zechariah says, that they will mourn for him whom they have pierced. And then as Paul would write in Romans chapter 11, that in that day all of Israel will be saved. And the reason that I'm kind of reiterating that to you is because if we don't understand that God gave this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Moses, and for all future generations, that God still has a plan for Israel. And it would be in Romans chapter 11 that Paul would say, is God through with his people? Has he cast them out? He said, certainly not. I am one that is from um, the seed of Abraham. I am one that's from the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul would go on to explain that God still had a plan for Israel. And that is that there's going to be a time when they're going to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And again, as we look at the prophetic picture, as we look at the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and all the other prophetic uh, scripture that is there for us, we clearly see that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And the reason that I want you to be established in that is because there are those who will come along and say, well, it really isn't that simple. You see, there's replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel, and we're spiritual Israel. And so Israel has forfeited those promises that were given to them. And the problem with that theology is, number one, nowhere in the scripture does it say that God had forfeited those promises that he had given to the children of Israel. He still has a plan for them. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that we're spiritual Israel. He is talking about a people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a national Israel that he still has a plan for. We see in the Old Testament that as Israel is going to go through the tribulation period, they're going to go through much difficulties. Again, we've talked about it in our prophecy um, studies that we have done, that they're going to be heavily persecuted by the Antichrist. And we also know that um, it's going to be Israel that plays the um, important role in the world today when it comes to prophecy. Israel really is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. We watch what's going on in Israel. Israel is going to be isolated. And we know that God is going to rescue Israel at the end of the tribulation period when the world surrounds the nation. Zechariah chapter 14. Jerusalem becoming a cup of trembling uh, to uh, Jerusalem and to Israel. And then God will save uh, Jerusalem. God will save his people from final destruction. But that's called Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, all these things. It is very clear that that's what Israel is going to go through in the prophetic future here in the end times, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe God has a different plan for the church, and that is he's going to rapture us before the tribulation period. And I stand on that promise that he gave to the church of Philadelphia, that he said to them that I will take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. The promise given to you and to me as Christians is that he will take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation. He did not say that I will preserve you through the hour of tribulation. He said I'm going to take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation. So I believe that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation period. There are going to be the tribulation saints, people coming to know Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, but they also will be heavily persecuted. And so there are those who come along and say, well, we've replaced Israel, and they will take on a post-tribulation rapture view because they believe the church is going to go through the tribulation period. Um, I, again, believe that God, when he gave the promise here, 
to, to, through Moses here. Moses says to them, here are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you guys are going to be brought back into the land from all parts under heaven, and then the Lord's going to gather you, and then the Lord will bring you to the land your fathers to possess, and he will circumcise your heart. Now again, partially that has been fulfilled as they came as a nation back into the land. It will be ultimately fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back. And you've got to remember that most Jews in Israel today are secular Jews. So there's going to be that time when their eyes are going to be open as God will pour out his spirit on the nation and they will come to recognize again that Jesus is their Messiah and then they will be circumcised of heart just as it's told here in verse 6. There are some other views as well that people will uh, try to get you to believe and they will say that the United States is Israel or that we're Judah and, and, and it's a gross misinterpretation of scripture. I don't know where they get that, but they have to twist Scripture a whole lot to say that we, the United States, are spiritual Israel, and you know we're going to go through all the difficulties and all of this. We're not spiritual Israel. God made a promise to them, and he will keep that promise to them. And just as Moses has said here in verses 1 through 6, he goes on to say in verse 7, Also the Lord your God will put all the curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you, and you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. In verse 9, the Lord your God will make you abound in all your work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of the, your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, as he will rejoice over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. So again, uh, Genesis 12, God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And we see that that will be true today. The promise was given through Amos chapter 9 that once they did come back into the land, as they are restored, we see Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37 talks about a nation coming alive once again as the vision of the dry bones. And we know that Ezekiel would see that vision of dry bones and he was asked by the Lord, shall these bones live? And Ezekiel said, you tell me, Lord, you know. And the bones began to come together. And they were, you know, just skeletons out there. And then pretty soon the, the flesh and muscles came on those skeletons to where they were just corpse. And the Lord asked Ezekiel, can these bodies be made to live? And Ezekiel said, you know, Lord. And so the wind came and breathed life into those bodies. And they stood up. It was talking about the birth of a nation once again. So Israel becoming a nation after 2,000 years of being scattered throughout all the world. An amazing prophecy fulfilled in 1948. And so now nation coming about and the land has bloomed and, and blossomed and continues to. And we know that the Lord will eventually bring the ultimate fulfillment that he gave to his people in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. But we know that God's going to protect his people and we know that he said once I bring them back into the land Amos chapter 9 tells us that they will not be plucked out once again and so if you want to know more about uh, the, the prophecies given to Israel we have uh, teachings on the prophecy update we did on New Year's Eve and we even have DVDs in the bookstore that you can get and you can look at that and we talk about some of those things but as we continue on here verse 11 for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you nor is it far off. It is not in heaven. If you, that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? 
nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and to bring it to us, that we may hear it and to do it? But the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And so we see here that you have a choice is what the Lord says. You have a choice. You have a choice, life or death, good or evil, and every single one of us has that choice. Oh, we're, we're not under the law, but we do have choices to make whether we're going to have a life that we say, Lord, I desire to walk after you, to live for you, to please you with my life. There is life or death, good or evil. And it's important for us to understand that he says here that this isn't too difficult for you to understand. It's not some deep mystery, verse 11. It's not that heaven has to open up and, and declare this and bring it to you, nor you have to go beyond the sea to try to find it. It's been very clear, and we saw that it was very clear in chapters 27, 28, and 29, didn't we? The blessings and the cursings. There is blessings, there is cursing, and you have a decision whether you want to live. And here he continues, and he says in verse 17, But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your, your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. He's saying, choose life, choose life, and to love me. And as we have discussed over and over again, that the key to obedience to you and to me is to love the Lord. And as you're loving the Lord, that's going to be worked out in your life. And I pray that we're understanding this. And I know that as we go through the book of Deuteronomy and we went through all this law and stuff, it can get a little bit monotonous. But here's a lesson that all of us can learn very clearly, and that is there is blessing in obedience. And there is consequences, negative consequences and repercussions for disobedience. And that is a message from Genesis to Revelation, isn't it? And all of us have decisions to make. And where it is that we're going to put our hearts. Are we going to follow after Lord or not? And in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 6, a very simple spiritual principle and truth is given to us, that whatever you sow, so shall you reap. And if you sow unto the flesh, of the flesh you shall sow, reap corruption. If you sow unto the Spirit, of the Spirit you shall reap everlasting life. That is for every single one of us. None of us are exempt from that. Whatever you sow, so you shall reap. Here in Weld County in Greeley, we live in an agricultural community, don't we? And so if somebody goes out and plants corn seeds, what's going to come up? It's going to be corn. It isn't going to be wheat. They go out and plant their winter wheat in the fall, and what do we see this time of year? A little bit of wheat starting to come up. It's not corn coming up. And it is true spiritually 
wherever it is that you are sowing, there's going to be a crop that's going to come up. Decisions that you make today, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be you know, a crop, a harvest that's going to come up in the future, the next day, the day after. And if it's good decisions, and decisions that you desire to please the Lord and to walk with Him, and Lord, I just want to love you. I hope that our hearts here tonight aren't how much of the world can I have in me and still be a Christian, but our hearts is, Lord, I want to draw closer to you and get closer to you and not be enamored with the things of the world. And that's why we make the connection. You choose life, and you may love the Lord as you obey the Lord, to love Him and draw close to Him. And that's what I hope that we choose, every single one of us in this room. You see, one of the things that, and this is my opinion, and, and maybe some that disagree, one of the things that bothers me about some of the movements that we see in the church today is you see different movements of how much of the world can we kind of be involved in and, and still you know, be Christians and things like that. So in some movements, what you have is you have Bible studies that go down and happen in taverns and things like that, you know, in bars, and it's called brew theology or brew Bible study, and, you know, let's go down and have some beers and have a Bible study. Now, hear my heart on this, folks, and what it is that I'm saying. The problem with that is this. There's too much temptation down there. And it's not only a mixed message, I believe it's a wrong message. And the thing is, is when we say, hey, we need to do this and be relevant and, and all of this, so let's go down to the bar and let's all sit around and have beers and have Bible study. Consciously, I can't do that. I couldn't do that. And people said, how come, you know, Hey, we can be cool. We can do things like that. N not this pastor. I can't. Because I know, first of all, that if I did that, there would be people that would be greatly stumbled by that. Second of all, I've talked to too many people over years of ministry that marriages have been split. Families have gone through tremendous difficulties. And a lot of hardship has gone into people's lives because of alcohol. And if I take you down there and say, hey, let's be cool and relevant, let's have a discussion group and all of this, for some it's too tempting. And it's called meddling to your own hurt. And I believe what we are called to do is be different from the world. And I know there are some out there they would disagree with me. If they want to be wrong, that's their business. But are you hearing my heart on this? I'm not trying, this, this isn't a legalistic kind of lecture I'm giving to you. This is wisdom. And again, our desire is not how close I can get to the world or compromise in the world, but Lord, I want to just, I want to get close to you. And when you come into this place, I want us to leave the world out there. But it's just a mixed message for people. And I pray that everything that we do, that we would choose life. 
that we would choose life. And that we would be ones that, Lord, I don't want anything into my life that's going to distract me. And again, the temptations of worldly pleasure and, and things like that are there when we do stuff like that and, and focus on things. Folks, it's like this. If, if I have a, a lock-in with the kids and we're going to have all these games and we're going to play laser tag and, oh, but we're going to be spiritual. We're going to have Bible study. You think the kids are coming for Bible study? No, they're not. If I say, let's go down to the tavern and have a Bible study and we're going to be drinking beers and stuff, I don't know the hearts of people that come. But I pray for us that we would make good decisions. And good decisions for ourselves because there are consequences for the decisions that we make. There, there is a harvest that will come up in the seeds that we sow in life. And frankly, you know, after a while, I have seen so many people that have been hurt and deceived and devastated because of seeds of corruption that are being sown. And no one's exempt from that principle. There will be a harvest and you will reap. And I pray that we would be ones that we would say, Lord, in everything that I do, I want to honor you and I want to walk with you. I just want to love you. And that as we focus on him, everything else will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I hope I'm being articulate enough for you to understand. Because being a pastor and being a police chaplain for all these years, I have seen just the devastation of what things happen in people's lives that make bad choices. And I've seen it with Christians and they've gone the way of the world and they've been pulled into the temptations and it's just bad news. Choose life. Life or death, good or evil. To be spiritually minded is life and peace is what Paul would write in Romans chapter 8. To be carnally minded is death. And there's a lot of temptation that's out there, a lot of things to pull us into the world enemy wants to deceive you. I don't want to go into his territory. I don't want to take you into his territory where there can be that temptation and pull into the world's pleasures and all of this. Because I know that at that point we're meddling to our own hurt. I pray that we would be ones that, Lord, again, I want to make good decisions for you. And that's what's being told to them. You got a choice, life or death. Blessings or cursing. Chapter 31, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crossed over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Shihon and Og, kings of the Amorites in their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I commanded you. So be strong and of good courage. Do not fear 
nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Moses is 120 years old. He's come to the end of his life. A couple of chapters, we're going to see that he's going to die on Mount Nebo. He's 120 years. He's been faithful to the ministry that God has given to him, an incredible ministry. And he says, Joshua, you're going to be the one that's going to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land for them to possess the land and know that the Lord is with you and with the people. Be strong and of good courage. You don't have to be afraid of those Canaanites and the other inhabitants that are in the land because the Lord goes before you and he promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. And in the battles that we fight in our lives, there are two promises here that we see in verse 6. One, that he goes before us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so because of that, we don't have to be afraid. It was like what he told Paul there in Corinth. He said, Paul, you don't have to be afraid for no one's going to hurt you and I am with you. And I'm going to continue to work you through you, Paul. He had the promise that the Lord's presence and that the Lord would not forsake him. And as we have the promise of his presence and the Lord is with us, then we don't have to be afraid. And God's going to be faithful to defeat those inhabitants, just as he did with, with Shihan and Og, the kings of the Amorites, that we read about earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, also the book of Numbers as well. But it's interesting, Moses, 120 years old, his ministry, the first 40 years that he spent in Pharaoh's palace, didn't he? Then the next 40 years, he would spend herding sheep on the backside of the desert, and then his last 40 years was his ministry. But you know what's so amazing about Moses? In his first 40 years, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, we know the story in Exodus chapters 1 and 2, how Pharaoh made that decree that all the male children should be drowned in the Nile River because the people, the population of the Hebrews were growing so fast. And so it was the parents of Moses that kept him, put him in a little ark, floated him down the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter found him. He would be raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We know that, as historians say and scholars, that Moses probably was next in line to be the next Pharaoh. We know from Stephen's address there in Acts chapter 7 to the Sanhedrin council, he's given an account of their history. He said Moses did mighty deeds and spoke mighty words is what he did. There's even some extra biblical references that they found in excavations of a man named Moses about the time that Moses would have been living that he was a great warrior. So he was probably in line to be the next Pharaoh. And Hebrews chapter 11 comes along and says that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, daughter, and choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. In other words, that, that's amazing to me. That Moses raised in the palace of Egypt, he came to the point of his life where he made a choice. And he said, I'm going to give up the passing pleasure of sin. And he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. I mean, think about that. Put yourself in his sandals. Moses had all the power in the world at that time if he would have became Pharaoh. The most powerful man on the face of the earth, all the riches of Egypt, all the riches of the world, all the prestige, all the... the, the 
pleasures of the world, of the you know, women he wanted, whatever it would have been. That was all would have been given to Moses, but he chose not to, but rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, not to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. He understood something that I hope that we're understanding. There's passing pleasure of sin in the world and the riches of the world. It will pass away, and we are to esteem the riches of Christ greater than that, and that's what he understood that he knew there's going to be great reward for him in heaven. And he's at the end of his life here. And that choice that he made, great is his reward going to be because of his faithfulness. You see, I hope for you and for me that we would never exchange the riches of Christ and the inheritance that we have in heaven, that we would exchange the rewards and crowns that God wants to give to us for passing pleasures of the world. It's not worth it, Christian. It's not worth it. To get involved in the pleasures and the sins of the world as much as it be. And I'll tell you what, Satan will give you the whole world. Jesus said, what good is it if you have the whole world but lose your own soul? And he gave that temptation to Jesus there in the temptation of wilderness. Here's the kingdoms of the world. They're all yours if you bow down to me. Satan will give you the whole world. But I pray that we would choose that, you know what? I don't want to exchange the pleasures of the world and the sins of the world for the heavenly riches that are ours. That's going to be for all eternity. It's not worth it. And I hope that we understand that in the choices that we make as we choose life. And that's what Moses did. And yeah, there may be affliction. There will be affliction because the world isn't going to applaud you when you make that choice. And the world's going to hate you. And Jesus said that because it first hated me. But blessed are you when the world comes along your enemies come along and persecute you because great will be your reward. And it's a reward that will last for all eternity. And the rewards that we can't even possibly imagine are going to be so wonderful. Live for Christ. Wherever God has you planted, just love Him. Choose life. Make good decisions. So Moses here, he, he does that. He says to the people, be strong and of good courage. He continues here in verse 7. Moses called Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land that the Lord has sworn to the fathers to give them, that you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Verse 9, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests and the sons of Levi who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and a stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. And so we see here that um, Joshua, as he's told to be strong and good courage, 
Then they are told that the law was to be read every seven years in the year of release. The Feast of Tabernacles, they were to do that. It's interesting. When you go through the Old Testament and you see where was the public reading of the law, you see it that it's in Joshua chapter 8. That's the first mention of a public reading of the law. We'll see that again fairly soon in the next few weeks when we go into the book of Joshua. The next time that you see that the law was read publicly was 500 years later. Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. And what they did is they went throughout the cities of Judah and they read the word. The next time that you see the word being read, the law, publicly, was 250 years after that. In 2 Chronicles 34 with Josiah. And then the next time that you see, and when Josiah read the word, there was a revival, but it would be shortly after that, a short-lived revival, that they would go off into captivity. After the Babylonian captivity, we see that in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, that we saw that they gathered all the people, men and women, who could hear with understanding there was a public reading of the law. Not very often was that done, was it? Joshua chapter 8, 500 years later after that, Second Chronicles 17, 250 years later after that, and then after the captivity, close to 100 years after the reading before that. Now, it doesn't mean that there weren't other times that there wasn't a public reading, but I think that as the scripture indicates to us, and we can be confident, especially in the days of their rebellion, because when Josiah read the book of the law, they found a copy in the temple that they cleaned up. The temple was trashed out, full of idols, because of his grandfather Manasseh, who ruled for 55 years. And, and they said, what is this? blow the dust off of it. Well, it's the book of the law. And so Josiah read it. He'd never heard it before, or they read it to Josiah, the king of Judah, and he tore his clothes, and he made you know, a decree that it should be read to all the people, and that's where revival broke out. So we're confident that there are many years there, gaps, that they did not read the word of God. There was no reading. I mention that because my concern today that in the church that there is a neglect of the reading of God's word. And there's more of a thirst of religious excitement, but there's more of a disinterest in the study of God's word. Now, I understand I'm preaching to the choir here because how many people would come week after week after week through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? And it definitely is not on the church growth programs that I get in the mail all the time. I haven't seen it yet. Matter of fact, they would tell you, probably the church growth people, that you're going to kill your church. If you make a decision that you're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the books of the Old Testament, but it's part of God's Word. And those of you who have been through this and with us, you're gleaning, you're growing, and that's the way to grow. And it's the way to maturity. And you're blessed by it. And God honors his word above his name. Psalm 138. And he's going to honor the teaching of God's word. And that's why we see such growth in people's lives here at Calvary Chapel. And I'm not boasting. And I'm saying we're the only church that teaches the Bible. But the ministries and the groups and the churches have made a commitment that we're not going to get pulled into all the religious excitement and 
different fads and the different books that's the latest book that's floating through town. Read your books if you want to, but the way that you're going to grow and mature is that you're going to do it through the learning of the Word of God and making it a priority in your life and as we make it a priority in this church life. That we continue on in these things. And what happens is, is that when there isn't an emphasis on the teaching of God's Word, then you open yourself up to all kinds of weirdness and different things and distractions that really don't have anything to do with the Lord. So I commend you for coming out on Wednesday nights and on Sundays and Thursdays and Tuesdays and the other days and your own devotions that you've developed. And God will honor the teaching of His Word. And I've said this over and over again, but I say this to encourage you. You are going to be effective in ministering to others. It's going to be the one who's mature in the Lord. And the way to be mature in the Lord is to be grounded in the Word of God. There's a lot of people out there, I still believe, that are looking for truth. And the religious fluff and excitement and all that starts to wear off after a while. And I believe that times are going to come to where people are going to really be wondering, what is truth? And there are people around us in our lives that are hurting and going through difficult times and discouragement. We are able to give them the truth of God's Word and to be used of the Lord as you continue to grow. Remember that we talked about in the book of Philippians that Paul was talking about being the steward of, of praying for us to be a good steward of, of the oracles of God, of, of being a servant of the Lord. A steward would be able to pull out the goods for his master. And you and I are able to pull out the goods for our master to be able to bless others because we know where they're stored. We know the word of God here and to be able to give to others. You see, that's not just the pastor's job. That's all of us, opportunity to minister to others. So here was a reading of, of the law that was to be every seven years and they neglected that and they got away from the word of God. And so verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. We are going to see that the tabernacle ministry, we're not going to hear much more about it anymore. The tabernacle, is, it's going to be taken across the Jordan, will be at Bethel and then Shiloh. But no longer is the tabernacle the center of the camp because the people are going to go in and then they're going to possess their allotments. They're going to get their allotment of land. And so the tabernacle is going to be very seldom mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament a few times. And then also we're going to see that, of course, that God would choose the place, Jerusalem, where they would build the temple. But also the pillar of cloud, that's going to go away. The manna that fell from heaven, that's going to go away. Now that they're going to go into the promised land. In verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and his people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to me among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. 
and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, and that they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write down this song for yourselves, and teach it to the children of Israel, and put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel, when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, that they will turn to other gods to serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Verse 21, Then it shall be, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I brought them to the land which I swore to give to them. And therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Here they are at the tabernacle meeting. The Lord speaking to them. It's the inauguration of Joshua. And the Lord says to Moses, Oh, by the way, Moses, the people are going to rebel against me. And evil is going to fall on them. He's telling them what's going to happen in their history. So I want you to write this song down and teach it to the children of Israel. That'll be chapter 32 when we get into it in just a few moments. And so he's going to tell Joshua, oh, you be strong, good courage, in, in verse 23, as he's inaugurated. And in verse 24, so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in the book that they were finished, and Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant, and the Lord saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearings and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. All evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. When Moses heard this from the Lord, it must have broke his heart. It must have just absolutely broke his heart. You mean I got to teach them this song that they're going to rebel? And this is their future. I think that is what is meant at the end of the book of Joshua. We're going to see that Joshua, he's here. He's hearing this. The Lord's speaking to him, be strong and good courage. But at the end of the book of Joshua, you see Joshua, he tells the people, great victory in this book. Man, they, they drive out the inhabitants. They have great victory. And all of a sudden, Joshua's addressing the people. And he's telling them, hey, the, the idols that you have, you need to put them away. And you need to choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I think Joshua was thinking back to this time in Deuteronomy chapter 31 when he got inaugurated that the Lord said you're going to rebel. He knew what was going to happen and it would be shortly after that that they did rebel and the book of Judges begins. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. My prayer, and I'll leave you with this, that we would stand up, men in your homes, that you would stand up and you would say, whoever you might be, and say, as for me and my house, we choose that we're going to serve the Lord. And so, Father, that's my prayer. My prayer is, is that we would make a decision as we talk about choices here tonight. 
life or death, blessing or cursings, whatever it might mean for us. And Father, I pray that we would be ones that in our hearts tonight, that we don't want compromise. We don't want to be enamored with the world, involved with the passing pleasures of the world. The Lord just have a heart for you. So, Father, I pray that tonight, if there's anything that you've been speaking to our hearts about, that, Lord, that you would just help us to open our ears to you. And know that when you speak to us in conviction, it's because of your love for us. You desire to draw us close to yourself. So, Father, I pray that tonight, if you spoke to us, that we would make a good decision that, Lord, as for me, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I want to draw close to you. And that we would be ones that we would make good choices and that we're sowing seeds to the Spirit. Because we know that good things will happen and blessing will come. Father, you're so loving and so good to us. And we're thankful that we have forgiveness when we do fall. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Father, I pray that we would be ones that, Lord, again, my desire is to love you with all of my heart, soul, and mind, just as what we've been taught in this book of Deuteronomy. So as we worship tonight, Lord, continue to minister to us, speak to us. (coughs) Turn away from those things that perhaps you've been convicting us of. and Lord, just confess it and come and yield to you, Lord. Father, that we would walk out of this place just being free and Lord, we know we can't do anything out of our own flesh. It's the work of the Spirit in our lives. So fill us, Lord, tonight. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your Spirit right now. Fill us to overflowing. Bless this time as we just continue to worship. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. If any of you need prayer for